As we get deeper into the pandemic, vaccines that can limit the spread of COVID-19 have emerged. With the news of two new vaccines authorized in Canada, there has been lots of discussion surrounding the safety, efficacy, and contents of these vaccines. My name is Miranda. I'm a Bachelor of Science student and lab assistant at McMaster University. I've been very interested in the development of COVID-19 vaccines because when working in a research lab, it's hard not to be fascinated by the amazing scientific breakthroughs that have followed this pandemic. I have noticed in recent media outlets and when talking to people, many individuals hold skeptical attitudes towards being vaccinated for COVID-19. I understand where these people are coming from and I think that these are healthy skepticisms. This vaccine has had a very fast development process of only one year. Usually vaccines take multiple years to develop and get approved. I'm here in this series of I Don't Know Much to discuss the recently approved COVID-19 vaccines, the myths and media that have been highlighted in the news, and shed light into the amazing scientific journey these vaccines have undergone. While I know that some people will decline the vaccine without knowing what it's about, I also know people will willingly take the vaccine without knowing what it's about. I am here to provide information that will allow everyone to make informed healthcare decisions for themselves, whatever they may be. So in this episode of I Don't Know Much, we're going to address some of the final misconceptions about the vaccines, including if the vaccines have the potential to alter our DNA, if the vaccine can make you sterile, and rumors about trackers and why you might be more susceptible to seeing this kind of information. And finally, we're going to talk a bit about how COVID-19 is not like the flu. Okay, so I'm here today with a friend. Please introduce yourself. For the audience. Yeah, avoiding the anonymity this time. So my name's Calvin. I'm a Master of Arts student at McMaster. My research is into social media, particularly through personalized content algorithms. And I'm looking at things like uh, digital echo chambers and how uh, subjects are involved in these cycles and how they impact their identity development based on the type of media they're exposed to. Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn at Calvin Hillis. Yeah, so when we're talking about trackers, what do you mean trackers here? So I think there's been a lot of information about if these vaccines are just things that the government is using <laughs> to track us, and I think that's been Like a... tracker location? Yeah, probably, and maybe other stuff too. I'm not exactly sure, but I just know that that's been something that has been on people's minds right. about the vaccines, and if it's just kind of a government ploy to oh. um, track us, basically. Right, yeah. because... Our cell phones certainly <laughs> don't track us, right? You know, the GPS technology in our cell phone that doesn't need to be connected to the internet to track our, our position. GPS technology owned by the U.S. military. We're not worrying about that. No. no. <laughs> we're, not, we're not worrying about the products that we purchased and that we willfully post uh, information about ourselves online. We're not worrying about that. Okay, well, I'll say to everybody, no, this vaccine is not a tracker, but that piece of technology which is cyborged into your pocket, uh, that is. And it's not necessarily the government so much as it is corporate surveillance and also maybe branches of government that are invested in homeland security, things like that. But we're here talking about vaccines. 
Now, I have a question about this vaccine because I know a few people have asked me about this, and I'm sure you've been asked it as well. But if you're immunocompromised, can you and should you get the get a vaccine for COVID? Right. And I think this is a really important question, and I want to address it super quickly in saying that it's super based on the individual and that it's so important to ask your doctor if you can get it if you happen to be immunocompromised or if you're worried at all. If you've been able to get other vaccines... I would assume that you're probably fine to get this one. Mm. But if you haven't been able to, that might be an indicator that you can't get vaccinated. But right. it's really important to talk to your doctor. Yeah. This is not medical advice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to me, but Definitely talk, talk to your doctor. To, talk to a doctor, yeah. someone with a medical degree. Yeah, you know, not, not us. That institution has a lot of gatekeeping being done to make sure that those people know what they're talking about, listen to them. Now, what about like, my DNA. What is this vaccine doing to my... Is it doing anything to my DNA? Can it alter my DNA? No, not at all. So the protein that our body makes from any of the vaccines, it doesn't go into our cell's nucleus and our cell's nucleus is what contains all of our DNA. Mm -hmm. So vaccines won't be able to do this in general. But interestingly, some viruses can actually do that. So a lot of them are dangerous and can alter your DNA. And that's what makes them reproduce a lot more and have really harmful effects on our body, but not COVID-19. So COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus and coronaviruses typically have a genome that when it enters our cells, it just gets made into proteins that are necessary to replicate. It doesn't go into the nucleus where our DNA is or anything like that. Okay. But actually, retroviruses, which is a family of viruses that contains the human immunodeficiency virus, also known as HIV. HIV. Yeah, so retroviruses actually can go into our DNA. So they're really unique. Their genome is also made of RNA, where one of the proteins that's in their genome is called reverse transcriptase. And what reverse transcriptase does is it basically allows the RNA of the retrovirus genome to be converted to DNA. Mm -hmm. And then that DNA can become incorporated into our host cell DNA. And our body basically gets tricked to be making a bunch of proteins for this virus. Mm -hmm. And then this affects our body with various symptoms. And actually HIV leads to AIDS if it's not controlled with antiretroviral therapy Mm. so yeah those viruses are a lot more harmful to us well aids is produced from hiv hiv is the virus but aids is autoimmune deficiency syndrome and we're just clarifying again this whole process that we just talked about with hiv is not what's going on with covid no completely different virus family right The coronavirus does not do that. Any coronaviruses do not do that. COVID doesn't alter DNA. Therefore, the vaccine for COVID doesn't alter DNA. No, and the vaccines just contain that protein. And so we're just trying to build a response to that protein. Okay, so in my lifetime, I imagine at some point, you know, I I would maybe like to be a parent. I, to do that, I need to be able to produce babies. Is this vaccine gonna make me sterile? So I actually have no idea how a vaccine would be able to do that in general. So when I heard that people were concerned about this or that this was even a topic of conversation, I was super confused and Mm. I didn't really understand. But doing more research, 
into why I basically found out why some why this was even a thought. Sure. Basically, the ingredients of the vaccines are fine. Other vaccines have never caused this, but it turns out that the reason this was thought is that some scientist was wary about trials and fast approval of the vaccine and mentioned found that one of the proteins that mammals produce, which is called syncytion 1 it's an important protein of the human placenta right. and it basically this protein shares similar genetic instructions with the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein mm-hmm. and so they were arguing that the vaccine that makes responses to this spike protein it would also cause the body to attack and reject the protein in the human placenta and basically make women infertile how are they making this argument? Was it a compelling argument or they were just... Because essentially what you just said is there's some basic similarities between the genetic instructions, between the what's in the this syncytion, excuse my pronunciation, and the placenta and SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. But if they're just similar, like I'm sure there's a lot of genetic similarities across tons of things yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So what else was that argument based on? So it was pretty much just based on that and that it was similar and that our body could produce this response that might end up attacking those cells and then we human placenta wouldn't be able to grow and we'd get an inflammatory response when a woman tried to have a baby so it'd make women infertile all right so so i don't gotta worry regardless regardless as a no but even if you are a woman you wouldn't have to worry yeah it's sure yeah so they basically did more research into this and found that it's very small stretches of the genetic code that are similar between the two proteins which like you said can occur within other proteins too and so that small code is not enough for the antibody that's specific to the spike protein to actually also attack and produce a response to the placenta protein right right so it's just not similar enough to do this and During all the clinical trials, women either got pregnant or gave birth and nothing wrong was reported and pregnant women have been getting vaccinated, so I think we're okay. Alright. Now, what might cause someone to be thinking about all of these COVID-19 vaccine misinformation strands? Well, considering your background, I was hoping that's something that you could speak to because I don't, I, a lot of this misinformation I didn't know about that people were thinking about this. That's not yeah. something that I've seen in my daily social media scrolling yeah. or advertisements. So I'm sure. just, I'm curious as to why someone might be more likely to see this information or click on it. Yeah. Something like that. Well, I think anybody who's using social media channels for, their news information is probably more likely to experience misinformation simply because of personalized content. Now, how personalized content works on social media platforms is really quite simple. I can just lay it out in one sentence and it's the more likely you are to click on content and the more time that is measured that you experience with that content the more likely you're gonna be seeing more of that content. We can see this on pages like the Explore page on Instagram, recommended for you, et cetera, et cetera. And personalized content algorithms are based on who an individual subject is following, what they like, uh, the content of their posts. So now actually your posts are being analyzed through algorithms, the content of the post, so they see you know, who you're tagging, what those people are all liking. So it's a really complex system that it knows exactly who you are, what your identity represents based on 
thousands of different data points. And this is really effective for providing a user with content that is relevant to what, uh, maybe not what they need to see, maybe not necessarily what they want to see, but what's going to keep a user on a platform. So from a business standpoint, this is incredibly powerful for a company like Facebook and their product Instagram for keeping people on their platform. So essential, and this is the same thing goes for YouTube, right? Google's video platform. If you click on video A versus video B, you're more likely to see other videos related to video A than to see videos related to video B. And this is just going to keep on compiling through thousands of clicks and hundreds or thousands of hours spent looking at this content. And every single second is tracked. So is where your mouse is on the page, you know, like if they know that you click a video about some vaccine conspiracy and you watch 15 seconds of it and then you click somewhere else, you know, they likely know, okay, you're not one of these people who's interested in this. And if you end up watching the whole thing and then the whole time you're watching this, you're also, you have your mouse hovering on a next video that's also about some vaccine conspiracy and you click on it as soon as the first video ends okay then they know you're one of these people who are likely to listen to these types of conspiracies and this goes across the board for any sort of conspiracy there's a lot of research and communication studies that are looking at uh, these algorithms and what they found is if a subject is like a subject so i'm speaking about like a person an individual if an individual is likely to click on a conspiracy for one topic, let's say flat earth conspiracy or the lizard the, 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 or alien conspiracies, they're more likely to click on any other conspiracy. So if you've been clicking on flat earth and if you've been posting on some particular forums beforehand, then it's likely that these types of vaccine conspiracy videos popped up on your homepage on YouTube or on your explore page on Instagram. And certainly Instagram knows every single video that you've watched on YouTube, and YouTube knows everybody who you follow and what content you're looking at on Instagram. All of this is shared through cookies, especially if you're doing it on the same device. Like if you're on your phone doing all this stuff, take all that information and add in your geolocation, where you're located. So now they know where you're spending most of your time and where you're going to. And from that, they can essentially, if you're also buying stuff through your phone, they also know what your spending habits are like. If you have your banking connected to your phone, they know what those numbers look like. So they can classify you based on economics, based on social status, based on location. So that's why somebody would probably be likely to see this. So. We're past just personalized advertisements. We're in personalized content. And that's why someone would see this type of misinformation. Now, why someone would believe it, when we're studying any sort of media effects, there's a few models to draw from. In sociology, we would look at something like social learning theory, where essentially, to sum it up, you're the product of your environment. The behaviors that you see are the behaviors that you mimic and carry out into your experience in the future. Uh, in psychology, how you would study media effects models, uh, at least one way is through something called cultivation theory, 
which was written about extensively by George Gerbner in the late 20th century, looking at television and how television was related to uh, violence in young children. And to sum up cultivation in a sentence, it's a subject's repeated exposure to a stimuli makes that subject believe that stimuli is representative of reality. Whatever reality is, we don't really need to get into that. But if you're stuck in these personalized content bubbles and you're not getting out of them because you're constantly clicking on these things over and over and over, you're reinforcing the stimuli that whatever you're clicking on is true. And we can see these processes happening for radicalization, whether it's the far right wing and white supremacy or whether it's the far left and that content is being amplified because you're in this bubble. You're in this digital echo chamber. And for you, that's your reality because that's the information that you've surrounded yourself with. Quite literally cyborged into yourself into your pocket. But what you're getting could be a lot different than what your roommate's getting or what your classmate's getting or what your brother or your family members are getting. So now experiences are extremely fragmented and you're getting these pockets of individuals who are, you know, through any media effects model that you want to think about, are quite literally developing a sense of reality that is disconnected from, from truth. So I have kind of a follow-up question to that. For someone who might be concerned about this and hears this and is a bit worried about cookies or what's going to show up for their personalized content and yeah. being tracked in general. Do you have any recommendations on how to prevent this or make it less? Yeah. Because it, especially when we're in this digital age where we're on our cell phones all the time yeah. and we're constantly being fed all of this information through our social media apps, like how do you, how do you recommend someone might be wary about this and go about things in the future? Take social media off of your phone. I know a lot of people get a lot of positive benefits, especially now in terms of isolation. There's a lot of benefits towards social media platforms for communicating with people. It's not like you can't communicate through text. Now, you should be wary that your texts are 100% being analyzed and are also contributing to the type of content that you're going to get. Regardless of your phone? Regardless of your phone. A million percent. So be wary of that. But... Uh, at least, you know, it'll be Apple who's selling that data rather than Facebook through Instagram or Google. Uh, I would, speaking of Google, stop using Google Chrome. Just stop. There's plenty of other services all over the place that are not taking as much data from you that don't use as much computing power. My suggestion would be Mozilla Firefox. If you're worried about uh, cookies specifically, add the the browser extensions Ghostery or Privacy Badger, they will block out uh, not only advertisements on sites that you go see, but they will stop those sites from tracking your cookies. Otherwise, it's really up to you just to navigate uh, the tensions between using these really amazing, convenient communication technologies and understanding that at least some point you're giving up a lot of that personal privacy. Don't sign into accounts if they have a, if they have, if you go to some website you've never been before that your friend sent you and there's an option, sign in with Facebook. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're just merging information together. Make a new account, have multiple emails. I think that's a good start. Otherwise, I would look up 
the not uh, it's, it's a German non-government organization called tactical tech if you just Google search tactical tech then it, they should pop up and I would go through some of their toolkits to learn how to you know, how you can reclaim some of your privacy but just the time of today where we're living in, in, in isolation it really complicates a lot of these issues but just learn that you do not need uh, all of these things mm -hmm. And quickly, can you just define what a cookie is? Because I learned it pretty recently and it opened up my eyes to a lot of things and maybe some people don't know it, so. Okay, yeah, I can get into it. Uh, a tracking cookie is like a little piece of information that you pick up when you go to any website. So if I go to reddit.com right now, I'm probably gonna get a couple of cookies attached to my browser. Without knowing, like it doesn't tell you? It doesn't tell me. It just, this is going on in the background. Okay. What those cookies are doing are reading all of the other websites that I have ever gone to. Unless I recently cleared my cache. You know? Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? You clear your cache, yeah. delete history and all that it stuff. It saves a lot of space. When you do that, every all of these tracking cookies are gone. Okay. But if you haven't done that, that means all the information for every website that you've gone to, every link that you've clicked on, how long you've gone there and what your browsing behavior has been like on there, all that information is being stored in your browser. And when you go to a website like Reddit, it's gonna start adding new cookies, which are able to read all of that data and also be read by future cookies. So I've just gone to reddit.com and Ghostery, the browser extension that I recommended, it has told me that it's blocked five tracking cookies. This means that there are five different cookies which can be owned by five different companies or five different organizations. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a company like Bell Media or Facebook. It could, me and you could set up a tracking cookie right now okay. and just sell that to a website and start gathering mm -hmm. user information. So Ghostry has just blocked five trackers from Reddit. And if I didn't have this Ghostry browser extension, those five cookies would now be watching me for the rest of my browsing history forever uh, until at least I clear the cache. Hmm. So when you go to a website and they have those little pop-ups that say, this website uses cookies, allow. And they don't even have a don't allow button. They don't yeah. even have an X on that. Yeah. That's them prompting you to allow them to have those cookies there? Yeah. Okay, so some websites do that, some websites don't do that. Some websites will give you the opportunity to turn them off. Okay. Usually it's like the accept all button is really big and the yeah. don't allow button is really small. Look for the don't allow button. I'm at a point in my browsing life where I will just avoid a website if they don't have if they don't have the opportunity to disallow them. I just realize that the content usually isn't that important and if it is, then great because I have these browser extensions that are blocking them anyways. Okay. Are those browser extensions free? They are free. You can get them on the store. They're available on Firefox. Again, I would recommend Firefox. I think the most recent test that we did we were watching a hockey game on like one of those free live stream sites and it got up into like the hundreds yeah there was like a hundred over a hundred cookies on this one site that's a lot of a lot of different places you're sending your information yeah yeah a lot of opportunity for your content to be uh, manipulated well thank you that opens 
I think hopefully a lot of people's eyes to what might be going on and why they might be more likely to see this information. And so I kind of want to end off this episode with this question that I had at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic that I'm sure we, we all thought of at one point, and we've all said at one point, yeah. but is COVID-19 like the flu? I remember at the beginning of this, I was telling people, oh, it's like the flu. It doesn't, it's, it, you'll be fine. It's okay. Isn't it like the flu? So it's not like the flu. Well, it's not, there's some similarities and a lot of differences and the differences is what makes masking and social distancing so important. Right. And I think we should get into some of those statistics to kind of show that it's not the same. But so why, why did we think it was, why did we think it was similar? Why is it similar? Symptoms, right? Like that's what I thought at least. I don't think I've had COVID, right? So I can't really say, but. Right. I've heard people get sick, it's flu-like symptoms. Yeah, respiratory symptoms, pneumonia. You can get pneumonia from both of them. But flu's not respiratory. I just think flu, I think of nausea, diarrhea. So I think it that those are also, those are side effects of it, but it's also, it also can um, manifest respiratorily okay. in your respiratory tract, and you can get pneumonia from both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one reason that it's similar. Not that high of a death rate at the beginning. It didn't seem... That same, I, I remember thinking, oh, people die from the flu every year, and I don't know any of those people. So just like I didn't know at one point anyone that died from COVID-19, yeah. and that was also a reason that I thought they were really similar. They both spread pretty easily. The flu, you can get it, and then you can pass it to people without knowing that you have it before you actually get the symptoms. Um, same with coronavirus or COVID-19. But so... When you actually compare the two, so they're both different viruses. SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus. The flu virus that circulates every year is influenza. It's a different type of family of viruses. And actually, with the flu, it takes about like five days, maybe for this incubation period, that can be up to five days, where the virus is replicating in your body. It might be able to be transmissible to other people. And then by the time you get symptoms, it's kind of like you're kind of near the end. You're not as infectious when you have symptoms for it. But with SARS-CoV-2, it can be up to two weeks that you don't even know that you have it. And it's replicating and you're you're, so easily transmissible to other people that it's way more infectious in that sense. And in a lot of cases, you might not even know you have it. And I think that's a big difference between uh, SARS-CoV-2 and the flu strains every year, that there's way more asymptomatic cases with COVID-19, and that's just why it's sticking around so much, because people don't know that they have it. Mm -hmm. And it's just spreading to, to millions of people. And also, the death rate is way, way higher for people with COVID-19, for right. COVID-19 in general. Than the flu. Than the flu, yeah. yeah. So, looking at statistics that the World Health Organization has put out, I'm going to read you the stats. So, overall, over 100 million people have been infected with COVID-19 worldwide, okay? And 3 million people have yeah. died of it. It's crazy. And... 3%. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And so... With the flu, the World Health Organization estimates that around a billion people get the flu every year. Yeah. Okay, a billion. How many deaths? 500,000. Really? Yeah. That's like... That's so low compared to what coronavirus is. 0.005%. Yeah, I was very shocked when I read that because I thought it was way higher, but it turns out it's not. That's like, COVID is just way 
way crazier. Yeah. Yeah. It's way worse. And so I think that's where a lot of people went wrong and didn't think it was that bad, but it turns out it is and it can spread so easily and you have asymptomatic disease without knowing it and then someone's going to get it and it's really going to affect them and then they're going to they're going to die. And so when they have really severe cases and there's not a lot of ventilators available in the yeah. hospitals because they're so overburdened yeah. because everyone's getting covid. And imagine if that number if we didn't wear masks or social distance, that number would just be so much higher. And yeah. so it's it, those are really, really important in this case compared to something like the flu. And so that's how COVID-19 is not like the flu. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. The next episode, we're going to talk a bit more about vaccine distribution in Canada and give some hot takes on these really intense ethical decisions that Canada and many different countries around the world have had to address. Great. Thanks for listening.